Hey guys. How we doing? All right. Good morning. I hope everyone had a good Thanksgiving. Yes? Awesome. Glad to hear it. So many of you know me, but some of you don't know me. So let me start off with this. We're going to get there. That was me. Hey, there it is. All right. So my name's Josh Rothberg, uh, for those of you who don't know me. And I was born on Long Island and raised in a Jewish home and had a bar mitzvah at the age of 13 and then promptly left organized religion for most of my life up until four years ago. And four years ago, I studied the Bible and decided that I would make Jesus Lord of my life and got baptized. There I am. John Markowski's over there on the left. Ken with his hat in the middle there. Ken Cavett and Wendy on the right. We were all really excited. (laughs) And about six months ago, um, I was talking with John and with uh, some of the church leaders, and we thought maybe it might be a good idea for me to uh, start working part-time for the church. Um, And so I did. And then about three months ago, the church made a very foolish decision and decided to hire me (laughs) full-time. Terrible idea. Terrible idea. (laughs) But... I'm really grateful to be here today, and thank you guys so much for being here. God help you all. All right, so a few weeks ago, I and many of your brothers and sisters went on a really awesome trip. Myself, Karen Donica, Gio Lamoth, Ileana Vera, Georgette Massarella, Nathan Natan Baker, uh, Natan! He's great. That's what we named him in Israel. Um, And myself, we all went on a biblical study tour of Israel led by uh, Doug Jacoby and Steve Kennard. It was a truly amazing journey. One that I know I will never forget and I know that they won't either. Um, And so what I wanted to cover today was impossible. Um, Because there was just so much that we saw that was so amazing that we'd be here until next July if I were to go into all of it. So we're not going to, okay? But I can promise you what we are going to see today on our journey um, was some of the most amazing and transformative things that we had on our trip, okay? Um, I, I really honestly doubt that any of us are going to look at the Bible or Jesus the same way ever again. So today what we're going to do is we're going to take a journey through 1 Peter 2, 21, okay? And we're going to walk in his steps, Jesus' steps. Here's what it says. To this you were called, because because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. What we're going to do today, like I said, is we're going to talk through Jesus' footsteps. We're literally going to walk from birth to death, okay? Um, It's going to be really fun, and what I'm hoping to do is to show you guys how the 
content or context or the historical background of Jesus's life really helps bring his journey into full-fledged picture it, to life itself. Uh, it's it's going to be fun. I'm excited. Are you guys excited? Okay, awesome. So you may have noticed that there's a few things that were a little different today. The first one was uh, when we first started, you guys heard the Shema prayer. So what you guys heard was the prayer that is done at most Jewish services as they are calling people to worship. And that was done now, and that was done 2,000 years ago as well. So you're experienced, you experienced that first. And then you're probably wondering, why is Josh sitting down? It's a good question. I will get to it, but not yet. Okay? We're going to get there. But first, what I want to do is I want to jump into where Jesus was born, okay? The first spot, Galilee. Okay? So, as you can see from the map here, Galilee was not just the area immediately around um, the Sea of Galilee, but it was a good chunk of the northern section of Israel. Jesus grew up in Nazareth. Okay, that little dot right there. A tiny little village to the southwest of the Sea of Galilee. Now, when we arrived in modern-day Nazareth, it looked like a hustling, bustling city, you know? There was a lot going on. It was up on a hill. And there wasn't really anything that we saw that looked like an an ancient civilization. But what, what was really cool was that the Nazareans have actually created a fully functioning first century village that looked very similar to what it would have looked like when Jesus was alive. It was awesome. It really helped us a lot, especially because before that, we had been in this city called Magdala. Magdala, Mary Magdalene's hometown, um, we, there was, it was a whole archaeological site, right? So there was a bunch of ruins like this one. Now, what they told us when we got to this was that this was a first century temple. Sure. Um, They told us that there were three levels of seating and that the rabbi stood somewhere there in the middle. But that's kind of hard to see, right? It's kind of hard to picture. Well, when we got to Nazareth, this is what we saw. A fully recreated first century temple. You can see on the the left-hand side there, that, um, you can, that there are the three levels of seating, and then you can actually see where the rabbi would have stood. And interestingly, when the rabbi stood, he was reading from the scrolls, from Scripture. When he sat, he was teaching. So, to answer the question, the reason I'm sit- seating, seated is because right now I'm teaching when I, when I read from the scripture, I'm going to stand today. I wanted us to really walk in his steps the same way perhaps he would have done it. And also, this sort of sets up our next location that we're moving to, okay? It's the place in the area where Jesus did one of his most detailed sermons. The Sea of Galilee. All right? So, so yes, this we can be excited, okay? Be excited. We're going to Galilee, okay? So... As you can see from the the map here, Jesus, um, once he's baptized, moves to the city of Capernaum. Capernaum was his headquarters um, during the majority of his ministry. This picture here was taken on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee 
right at the shore in Capernaum, okay? So you can see the arrow there pointing to Capernaum. You see Tiberias is down to the south. And the two main other cities that Jesus visited were Chorazan and Bethsaida. And they were to the left, okay? The most impactful thing, I think, for me, or at least one of them on this trip, was this moment. I actually, and we actually got to wade in the Sea of Galilee. It was amazing, guys. You know, standing there in the water with fishies hanging out all around me, I, I, I was so impacted. I thought to myself, wow, I am here in the spot where it all started. It's so small. The Sea of Galilee, guys, is a lake. Barely, barely a lake in comparison to the Great Lakes here in the U.S. Tiny. We're, we're, in the, we're on the Sea of Galilee here in the country of Israel, which is actually the size of New Jersey, okay? We're talking about small, really small. And it amazed me because I thought to myself, Jesus really had to have been incredible for his message to spread, right? I mean, I thought to myself, what was it about Jesus, you know, obviously the miracles helped, um, that spread his message? His ministry had to really be impactful. What he was saying had to catch people's attention, right? So what was it? So what I want to do is I want to examine Matthew 5's Beatitudes for a minute, okay? Also, this was those three cities that that he went between. Just a little thing for you. Okay, so... Let's take a look at these for a minute, all right? It says in Matthew 5, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Oh, context, right? We now know that that was something they did all the time. They sat to teach. A little tidbit for us now, right? We've got that and helps fill the picture in. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. It says here, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger for the thirst of, for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will, ca- they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Rarely in the New Testament do we see anything constructed like the Beatitudes. Why? Well, I had no idea until I went on this trip. I knew it was different, but I didn't really know why. So, if you notice, each one starts with blessed are. Okay? Blessed are in Hebrew are the words baruch ata. All right? Now, what was inter- what's interesting is that so many Hebrew prayers start with these two words, Baruch Atah. In fact, they use, they use these, this, these particular prayers for a lot of different things. So a lot of different prayers started Baruch Atah. One's for the bread, for the wine, for the prayer shawl, for the head covering, all right? All of those, Baruch Atah. So Jesus, knowing this, he used their familiar prayer structure 
in the Beatitudes, but made a drastic change. No longer was Jesus saying blessings to God. He was saying a blessing as God. Now that was not something they were expecting. And that's what I think is really cool about Jesus's ministry. What he does is he shows the Jews something they think they know. And then he shifts their perspective. He shows and then he shifts. So my theory, and this is just my theory, one of the reasons why Jesus's ministry was so impactful, besides the healing and all that jazz, was his message helped people get a new perspective, a fresh start, a deeper meaning for God's true intentions for their lives, which was a total spiritual revolution in the first century, okay? So, if we walk in his steps, we've got to show and shift perspective. Well, I'm pretty fresh. Um, not sassy fresh, but new, right? I mean, this is the first time I'm up here preaching a Sunday sermon, okay? So I'm pretty fresh. This is numero uno, right? And many of you know me, and I don't like to do things halfway. So what I'm about to ask you, you might not be very happy about. But people weren't happy with what Jesus was saying either. So what I'd like to ask you all to do right now is to stand up and grab your belongings. Yep, please stand up. Okay, don't move. Nobody move yet, okay? What I'm going to ask you to do in honor in the vein of new perspectives is to shift where you're sitting today to a new section. Okay, don't move yet. Don't move yet. Wait, wait for me to say so, okay? What we're going to do, I'm going to ask the people on the right-hand side here to move either to the center section or to the right-hand section. If you're in the center, move to the right or to the left. If you're on the right, move to the center or to the right, okay? Are you, all right, are you listening? Are you paying attention? Okay, this is very important now. Sit back down. Sit back down. I'm not going to move you, okay? I was go... If I had 10 more minutes to spare, I was gonna. But you know what? I don't, so I won't, all right? But what I want you to do, what I want you to do is to hold on to what you were feeling in your heart right before we moved, okay? <laughs> Keep it there. So look, since we didn't shift our seats, we're going to shift our perspective, Okay. We're going to shift our perspective to a new spot. Jerusalem! Woo! All right, this place was super cool. We had an amazing time there. And what happens is Jesus leaves the Galilee with the apostles by way of Jericho over the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem. Now, personally, I'm a big visual learner, okay? If I can see it, if I can visualize it, if I can touch it, it really makes a big impact on me. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to show you guys a video, okay? It's a quick video, real fast. We're going to move real quickly through it. What you're going to see, and what you see right here, right now, you see up here, this is the temple. This is the Holy of Holies. 
this is a fully working model of Jerusalem. It's small, but it gives you a really great idea of what it looks like. So, Holy of Holies. Pretty cool, where the Ark of the Covenant would have been held. Here are the temple courts. Here, Solomon's colonnade. Colonnade, right here. All right? What else you're going to see in this video is it's going to turn to the north. You'll see that. You're also going to see the western wall. I'll point it out when we get there. You're also going to see the temple steps on the southern side of, um, of the temple itself. What you see down here, that's the Golden Gate, one of the places Jesus may have entered the temple area. Okay? And finally, what you're going to see is Golgotha, the place of the skull, the place where Jesus was crucified, buried, and resurrected. Okay? Here we go. Maybe. There we go. Okay, so you're turning north now. We're going to turn back in a second. Here's the southern end of the Temple Mount right there. Facing north again. So you guys get a better perspective of it. Now we're at the southern side. Where I'm pointing is the western wall. Okay. Uh, again, you're seeing the western wall there. Only a little tiny chunk of it is actually where the western wall is uh, now. Um, and here, right... Oh, I skipped it. Sorry, just kidding. Um, at the end of that video there, there's a place of rocks just there in the northern section. And um, that's Golgotha. So in the northern section, just outside of the city walls, was where Golgotha was. Pretty cool, right? I mean, I had no clue exactly what this looked like until... I got there. And it really helped me to understand things in a much deeper way. So what we're going to do now that you guys have gotten a good perspective on Jerusalem, we're going to dive in. And we're going to dive right to that spot, Golgotha, okay? What is standing on Golgotha now is this, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, okay? Traditionally, this is where they have the tomb that Jesus was buried in, okay? Traditional meaning Theoretically, maybe, probably not. Okay? So, I'm going to play this video for us. And what you're looking at now uh, is the actual Church of the Holy Sepulchre. This place is owned by a bunch of different sects of Christianity, okay? And all of these groups have a portion of the church. And when we entered, you can honestly see it looked terrible. I mean, the place was in disrepair. And Jan, our tour guide, informed us that the only way they could do any type of reconstructive work on the church was if each individual church group agreed to do it. And you know what happened? None of them agreed. Okay? I I thought it was really interesting that thousands of people flocked to this place every day to bow down to Jesus. But the people who owned it I believe, forgot a great deal of what Jesus was preaching against. All these different variations of religions based on Jesus in the Bible, which they claim to use, Paul writes, so these are all the different divisions, right? These are the different ones. Paul writes in Ephesians 4.2, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And at the sight of Jesus' resurrection, the people can't even figure out how to take care of the church. In the place of Jesus' crucifixion, they make large, grand gestures of prayer. 
Matthew 6, 6 says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in their synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. Truly, I tell you, they already have their reward. But when you pray, go into your inner room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Interesting, right? The other thing that I noticed was that as we were trying to walk through this place, these holy men would knock into people and just brush them off. They didn't care about any human being except for themselves. And this struck me. John 13, 34. Love one another as I have loved you so that you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How did any of that represent love in any way, shape, or form? Honestly, I believe that these people have become the Pharisees of the modern era. These people have become what Jesus quotes from Isaiah in Matthew 15, 6 through 9 here. Then some of the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from where? Jerusalem. And asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of your elders? He goes on to give them an example, and then he says, Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your traditions. You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. This is what we witnessed in Golgotha. Nothing has changed in 2,000 years. But I have to be honest with you guys. It made me start to wonder about us, about our church, about our congregation. So I'm going to ask you, I'll pull the audience, what do you think? Do you think we are susceptible to being caught up in our own traditions? Okay, let me ask you this then. How many of you were upset when I asked you to move your seat? I'm only asking. Now, maybe you were frustrated because I was going to move you and your kids and you have to get up and go somewhere else. But what about you who don't have kids? Could it have been that you were upset because I was changing what you were comfortable with? Your Sunday morning tradition? Habit? Now, we're just talking about changing seats here, so it doesn't necessarily mean anything, but what it does is it exposes our hearts to the question, have we allowed ourselves to become comfortable with the status quo here? Have we become complacent? So speaking of traditions, I had to give up one this past week. For the first time in my life, I didn't spend Thanksgiving with my parents or with my family for that matter. I was actually in Ohio with my girlfriend Andrea's parents and her family. And you know what? Thanksgiving morning was tough. I was sad. But I'll tell you what. I gave my all. Cooking, cleaning, loving her family. And you know what? It made a big impact. And the only reason I can say that is because while I was there, I got tangible evidence that what I had done for her family had made a difference. 
I was able to show what a godly man looks like. And if I hadn't stepped out of my comfort zone and allowed my traditions to go by the wayside, that would have never happened. So let me ask you this. When's the last time you did something like that? When was the last time that you encouraged a sister or brother who wasn't in your immediate friend group? When was the last time you personally invited somebody to come out to church, study the Bible, or help someone even deepen their convictions about God? You know, that Matthew 28 stuff. Now, look, I'm not condemning. I'm just asking the question. I'm going to leave it up to God to convict you guys, okay? But I shudder and I pray as a church we never get to the point where we resemble the divided groups we saw in the church at Golgotha. Jesus makes it very, very clear that we should follow him, not any tradition or any material thing. Amen? Now, we have talked through Jesus from the beginning to the very end of his ministry. What I want to leave you with today is this. This is all real. These are real cities, okay? Nazareth is real. Chorazan is real. Bethsaida is real. Capernaum is real. Magdala is real. Caesarea Philippi is real. Caesarea Maritima is real. These are real places. The Sea of Galilee is real. The temple in Jerusalem is real. The Mount of Olives is real. Gethsemane is a real place. Golgotha is real. Real stone, real wood, real men and women who built them. Jesus is real. And you have his teachings in the palm of your hands and at a moment's notice. Let's not allow familiarity or of tradition to stand in the way of changing the world. Hmm? Let's walk in his steps until we make it home. Let's bow our heads for the communion. God, thank you for your son, for the cities he inhabited, and that we can still go there and experience them today. Thank you for allowing him to have died so that we can have a one-on-one relationship with you. Thank you for his blood, which we represent today in the juice. Thank you for his earthly body that we represent in the bread and our wafer today. That body that roamed Israel in search of starting a renaissance of religion that has shaped our lives. We love you so much. We are so grateful for all that you give us. Be with us. We say this in your son's name. Amen.